Gattaca is a story about one man's dream of space travel, and a future where only the genetically perfect and engineered are offered such privileges. Today we'll discuss the many themes of Gattaca along with its vision of the future and its emotional look at human determination. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. <laughs> Audio podcast, yes. Are you picking up Tim's bad habits? Are you doing like a visual what? high? <laughs> I don't think so. Every episode on streams, like Tim will just do like a little nod or a wait, and I'm like, Tim, it's an audio podcast too. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to say something. I just felt like, I don't know, pointing at myself. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together and we talk about a movie. It's really quite that simple. Uh, we are talking today about a movie called Gattaca. Uh, it's 90s season. We're working through a bunch of 90s movies um, for the most part until at least the end of November, I think. And this was one that was obviously in contention uh, to, to do. And we kind of tried to pick movies that we either hadn't seen or felt that we need to revisit because it had been so long. Because the plan at the end of this season, when we get to the end of the year, around New Year's, we're going to do a top 25 sci-fi movies uh, of the 90s. And... Uh, Tara had said that, well, she's seen this a long time ago. Uh, she kind of, uh, you know, doesn't remember it I that well. I needed to revisit, yeah. yeah. They needed to, to go back. And uh, I like the movie a lot. Just to spoil that now, I think Gattaca is great. So I had no complaints about saying, yeah, let's get Gattaca done. Let's do that finally. <laughs> so that is the plan today. The premise of Gattaca is that we're in the not-too-distant future, and that is the exact words that is used at the start of the film. doesn't specify, which is smart. We're in time and space. Ah, there you go. Uh, which is smart. Hell, they're even sending up rockets. In fact, hell, mm -hmm. technically is even a janitor. Oh, shit. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of correlations <laughs> here. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, it's in the future where... You know, science has cracked, like, genetics to the point where as soon as you're born, they can test your blood and it'll say how likely you are to get certain medical conditions, how likely you are to die by a certain age, that kind of thing. And it kind of breeds a new type of social class and prejudice where companies and anything important only want to deal with people who are expected to have long, healthy lives. And anyone who is deemed likely to have like a heart problem or something like that uh you know by a certain age they don't want you uh it's just it's like a new form of discrimination so it, like science fiction does it uses this to kind of talk about just how we are in real life with other things but it does it in this different way where uh you know it's a it's just about ambition it's about human spirit and determination and um the idea of like us believing we can do something even if the odds are very much against us uh, so the the plot revolves around Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent, uh, who is, you know, someone who is told he's likely to die in his early 30s via heart failure. Um, so he can't do what he wants to do, but he dreams of being an astronaut. He dreams of going into space. And Gattaca is where all the space launches go go from in this, in this version of the future. And the movie's about him effectively faking an identity of someone who does have good genetics. Someone uh, played by Jude Law, who has the perfect genetics but you know was in an accident and broke his back so so things like that can still happen obviously where you, you could have your your health taken from you via external forces uh, but so it's all about him 
faking his way into the, the space program and faking his way to achieve his dream because the system won't let him do it under any other circumstance. And that's, that's the basic gist of it. And we'll get into all the ins and outs. We'll obviously start spoiler-free. We'll give you warnings before we go into spoilers. All that good stuff. Uh, but you're the one that needed to revisit this. So I'm excited to ask, Tara, what did you think of Gattaca? I like Gattaca quite a bit. Um, yeah, I definitely saw it when it came to like HBO. And I, if you've had like any biology class, I feel like the professors find a reason to play Gattaca. <laughs> um I, I feel like i've watched it a couple times in school um but yeah it's a it's a great science fiction concept it's a cool world i like the design of it i like the themes that are being played here the social commentary even the like the the stuff about relationships and brothers uh is pretty strong in this as well oh so sure just, yeah. and the music's really great i don't oh, really I know the music before but I love um, the music, yeah. I really noticed it in this viewing. The main track, uh, Departure, which plays near the start and also at the very end, is, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a perfect, it's the sort of track you can put on and listen to and just enjoy it. It's so dramatic and, like, emotional. <laughs> Do you know who the composer is? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I can okay, okay. tell you... Not one of the big ones, maybe? Very, very quickly who it is. Um, oh, God. Ooh. Do you know what? It's actually one that's harder to find on IMDb. Is the composer because it's not, obviously you get director, producer, Actually, and writers like at the I've, top. I've had to search for it before as well. Yeah, uh, so you have to go to the full casting crew and then just you know search either music or composer and hope you get it. Uh, Michael Michael Neiman uh, is okay. the composer. But yeah, I I, really know. yeah, I have to say I don't really recognize the name that much outside of uh, this. A quick look at his uh, page. He did the piano and the cook the feast of the wife and his lover. Uh, Oh, it looks like some uh, French movies. So maybe he's more in French cinema than he is mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood. So maybe that's why we don't know his stuff as much. But yeah. uh, it's fantastic, though. The music's fantastic. I, I love the music in this one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of play here. Obviously, you've got this the, the simple science fiction. Like, we're going to make this, like, very you know, typically attractive white straight guy the one who's discriminated against because that lets his, like, view discrimination through a different lens than we normally would mm-hmm. um but it also gets to, lets us look at you know human rights uh the human spirit all those things it get, and like you said he's got a brother um who we find out about in the flashbacks early on who the parents decided after the the you know, quote-unquote failure of ethan hawk's birth they're going to do it the way all the other parents are doing it now which is they go to like genetic doctors who like engineer the baby to be perfect and be the best possible baby they can make and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of this like artificial way of doing it um but he so he has him to compare to um there's the idea of like human kindness and then of course the, the, just the idea of like well they're not necessarily arrested or anything like that for being uh invalids as they're called or uh what was the other word to use that made me laugh uh it was like like love baby or something no 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 it was um it god was, baby it was like it was like degenerate gotcha. but part, part of the word was like changed to be like gene degenerate degenerate de- de- or something, it was something uh, stupid okay. like that it made me chuckle uh but like but it did feel a lot like a police state in some ways like you almost got the the like they're policing for hairs and like saliva and anything that's left behind in case one of you is a sneaky invalid like running around you know yeah uh there was a lot of those kind of vibes did you get the feeling that there was no currency in this universe anymore in our future no there was definitely money because um 
like the the so, so Toya Shalhoub has a small role who's the guy who sets up uh right. okay a thingy with uh Jude Law and his payment for like doing all this is that he gets 25 percent of whatever Ethan Hawke's going to make in this mm-hmm. new job so there's definitely some form of currency yeah you're right you're right yeah I was just thinking you know if they had uh genes that determined what job you'd be best suited for then it wouldn't matter exactly because that's what you were sort of bred for this job oh sure yeah yeah um now and i think that's kind of what jude law's getting out of the whole deal as well is that he's letting him use his identity and his dna and stuff and in return ethan Hawke keeps him in the life he's accustomed to by paying for his <laughs> lavish lifestyle right, you know, his, yeah. his, his apartment and all these you know that's true that is the line that gets brought up yeah of course, there are deeper reasons, I think, why Jude Law is really allowing this. Oh, of course, yeah. It gets to that, you know, as the film goes on, and we'll, we'll talk about that. It's uh, it's like, and obviously, the, the cast is great. Obviously, we've mentioned Ethan Hawke in the lead role. Jude Law is the sort of the the good genetic person that is going to let him use his identity. Uma Thurman's love interest, which is notable because Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman actually did get married, and uh, their daughter is a good little actress now. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds really demeaning the way I said that, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, Maya Hawke's very good. I like her in Stranger Things a lot. Um, so you've got all them. Uh, you've got Xander Berkeley in a role. And he's not like a huge actor, but he's one of those faces that pops up a lot, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, most people probably know his face from Terminator 2. He's the uh, the foster father for John Connor. Uh, but he's been in 24. He's top- popped up in an episode of The X-Files. And he's been Heat, I think, as well. He's you know, in a lot of things. Yeah, he's just a reliable actor. Good face. Yeah. Alan Arkin is in here. Oh yeah, speaking of reliable. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a detective. Uh, the the father of Ethan Hawke is played by Elias Cateus, who's another like really dependable actor. Uh, apparently, Maya Rudolph's got a, a mask on at one point, and she's there. And of course, the most important of all is uh, Greg Sestero, who plays Mark in the room, who's the who you can see the back of his head in one shot if you look yeah. really closely. <laughs> I saw he's listed as uncredited, and so yes. I'm like, oh, where is he? And then I didn't see him at all when I watched the movie, so I had to look it up separately. It's a shame. I was I was watching, because you, t- you told me this before we started, so I was watching like a hawk, no pun intended, uh, to look to see him, and because I, I wanted to yell out, oh, hi, Mark, with, with a sob. And, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I never, I never did. It's only the back of his head, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very, very... Very good, strong, dependable cast, kind of like sprinkled all throughout, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I actually think the film's quite beautiful at times as well. Uh, like there's a lot of shots of like him at various points looking up at the rockets taking off because there's like mm-hmm. twelve rocket launches a day at Gattaca, and he's he's looking up and every time it does it, like the CG for the rocket launch isn't actually that good, but it didn't really it doesn't really matter. It still looks quite pretty the way you just get this uh streak of the the smoke and the fire when he's looking up and he, it's usually like done dawn so or dusk a glass ceiling ceiling yeah uh, glass ceiling you mean <laughs> uh at one point it is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah there's actually some really fun lines because in the flashbacks early on when we're seeing him as a working as a janitor and he's like looking up at it um i i, I love uh like the the guys working like the head janitors like Oh, you dreaming of space? Here's a space for you right here. Start by cleaning that. Is that Ernest Borgnine? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it could be. I love that. <laughs> I love like the 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 head of the of the the group of people that we see who are not um, genetically favorable <laughs> is Ernest Borgnine. It is. Yeah, you're right. Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Another I, dependable classic Hollywood. He's not someone I recognized immediately, but now I'm looking him up. Yeah, okay, he's been Poseidon Adventure, Escape from New York. Uh, yeah, okay. he's been so much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. You watch anything from the 60s, 70s, even 80s, especially television, like, he's mm. there. Yeah. Also, I'm just laughing because uh, Greg Sestero is literally the last name in the cast on IMDb. That's quite funny. Yeah. It is a pretty impressive cast, though. Yes. Yes. It, both including and in spite of him. <laughs> <laughs> so. He's probably the best actor in the room. In the room? I was like, going to say in this. I was like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> Back of his head, yeah. It's great so. acting. Good back of the head actor, yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, yeah, so no, it's really really good cast. Music's great. It looks good. It's a very conservative style of the future where yeah, things are quite sleek and stuff, but it's not going over the top with it. So even though it was made in 1997, it's not actually aged that much in its depiction of the future. The only real thing is at one point someone answers a cell phone and it's like yeah, it's a bit chunky looking for the future. <laughs> but other than that, it it, it kind of works and feels quite timeless some of the like photos they use the digital photos and stuff also look very pixelated yeah sure that's fair which almost plays into the plot a little bit because the whole point is like when they see jude law's face in the mugshot and Mm -hmm. ethan hawk's meant to look close enough like i buy it in the photo they're showing me but i think in a clear photo (laughs) i would never buy it (laughs) but yeah they're clearly two different people but you know that's fine like it works because like it, that even that plays into the themes though is that all these like elite assholes just wouldn't fathom that they're being tricked by someone they wouldn't fathom mm-hmm. that someone's in here uh who's actually an invalid some, somehow keeping up with them uh mm-hmm. so you know there's a thematic little touch to it which uh, which always helps out little things like that that feel a bit far-fetched to me if there's a thematic point to it i'll happily take it like ha- you know I, I won't care oh yeah definitely so yeah. it, i mean it maybe dates the movie a bit but i think it's it's something you can ignore easily oh, sure, yeah. to get into the the themes yeah i mean i would argue it's not dated that much but you're right like i, I don't really mind if it is a bit dated but yeah mm-hmm. yeah but overall i'd say it, it's, it's aged quite well where um the, the biggest thing about it that feels old to me is just how young a lot of these actors look because i'm used to them like yeah, in more recent I, times. I haven't seen uh, Uma in very much recently, but definitely Ethan Hawke's having a bit of a comeback. Yeah, Ethan Hawke's in a lot of stuff recently. He was in Moon Knight and uh, Black Mask was... Or Black, Black Phone. Yeah. yeah, Black Phone was quite big. Uh, or yeah. successful, anyway. Uh, I feel like I saw him in something else recently as well. But yeah, he's, he, he's well, he, he He does weird horror movies also, right? I you've probably <laughs> watched. Very possibly. I mean, what else has he been in recently? Uh, he, I mean, this was a few years ago now, but he was in a, a movie called First Reformed, which was very good, uh, mm-hmm. where he played a priest. And it's funny because as, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, that's, you know, this has got some like parallels to Taxi Driver, but with a priest instead. And it turned out the writer was the same writer as Taxi Driver. I was like, oh, he's okay. He's doing his stick. But it was, it was good though. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a, if it ain't broke, it was an interesting look at kind of like a priest who is starting to disagree with the actions of the church. And he feels kind of, like, helpless, sort of, in his role. Yeah, okay. I think you'd like it. Probably. I think you'd like it. Uh, but yeah. Oh, he was in the North, man. I haven't watched that yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's the father. I haven't seen it yet, either. Yeah. Very good. So, no. Um, 
yeah very strong cast is what i'm saying uh, so <laughs> yeah uh as far as far as just general feelings and stuff then i think we've, we've mostly said it but i i i think i find myself like i i love as much as i'm a cynical jaded bastard at times i do love tapping into optimism of humanity where it feels right uh, and there's a couple of moments in this that i can really get into and i i really this this old idea of like proving that you can do something when everyone says you can't is definitely mm-hmm. an easy trait for me to like get behind and probably most people i imagine there's something really fulfilling about it of like being mm-hmm. told no you can't do this thing well screw you i'm going to do it anyway um there's something really satisfying about that as like a, just a story and you know and, and inherently um and I think there's a couple of moments in this that do actually get me a little teary-eyed. And I'll, I won't say what they are until we get into spoilers, but, um, you know, maybe my my very tough demeanor might be shattered by the end of this. I don't know. When I tell you, what moments get me emotional? I don't know that I got emotional watching the movie, but uh, I wouldn't... I mean, I guess I can guess a couple of moments where that would be possible for you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's some really good themes in it. Um, I guess the obvious one would be ableism to compare to, but it's probably, it's, it's probably just all the isms, right? Racism, sexism, ageism, all that stuff. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that you can use as a parallel, any form of discrimination, anything where someone is not going to be given a chance at a job or a chance Mm -hmm. at something because someone's just written them off already for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that's that's there i mean obviously social class is another big one that plays into it uh yeah as well um so yeah i yeah i love all the all the subjects it tackles and i think it doesn't necessarily tackle every single one of them full head on but they all kind of just nicely bake into the overall uh thing that it's doing and it, it doesn't feel like it's betraying any of them by and not focusing on all of them because it would probably just it would it'd probably struggle if it tried to do that but uh they just all neatly fit into this world that's you know got a really strong central premise that lends itself to you know we could sit here and like sort of almost dissect the movie through different lenses if you take any one of these things that it's doing and just look at it through that lens the entire time mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're not going to do that today today we're going to talk about the sort of the main ones that it focuses on but um like any good science fiction you can do that though yeah I mean, I think when we talk about uh, the spoiler side of things, um, I'll say why, but I, I find this to be kind of a good double feature with The Matrix also, just with the, oh, the overarching message that's going out there. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's a good movie. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll say spoilers. I was somewhere else, but I can't remember. Uh, um, that's fine, that's fine. Well- We'll just say spoilers then. We'll get into uh, into the film and talk about all the the incidents. The movie uh, starts kind of uh, a week before Ethan Hawke's character Vincent is going to go into space. Right, it's about a week from when he's going to leave. We get a, a sort of sense that he's you know he's like we, we get, he, get, he sort of explains it later, but we we see him like try and like shed as much loose skin as he can with like sort of like tough brush and clipping his nails making sure there's no loose hairs as best he can and he burns all the remains of all these things after he's done it uh and he's like taking like a like a bag of piss with him you know so he can he's got someone's piss to you know, to be tested and stuff 
that's not his own. Not because it's, it's not like normal. This is because they're he's like a coke addict or something. This is just because no, his piss would reveal that he is not him because they're constantly monitoring, they're constantly testing uh, these things. So, but and we sort of end this opening little prologue section with him, uh, like w- watching as someone like basically someone finds a dead body in the building uh, at Gattaca. And it turns out to be like the director of flights or something, the director of missions or something. And that's when the narration comes in and we go back and Ethan Hawke has a lengthy kind of like flashback narrated prologue of here's this world, here's who I am, here's the situation. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But I think the world's so dense that you kind of have to have oh, something yeah, yeah. like this. You have to kind of explain what the world is. Um, I, I think appreciate the setup, actually. The music does a lot to help it, and there's a lot of good little moments here, because uh, I think it's actually, it's before the flashback, uh, we, we kind of alluded to this when we were talking before we started recording, but there's a, a moment here where there is a, we see him go in for like a piss test, and he goes in, and Xander Berkeley's his character is the doctor who does a lot of these tests, and he's kind of casual, to, and there's a nice bookend here actually, because this is the scene where he says, oh, you know, I should tell you about my son sometime, uh, you know, that's actually quite important because it comes up at the very, very end. So it's a nice little bookend for the whole story and kind of reveals that, oh, he kind of knew something the whole time. But in this scene, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously he's, he's got the catheter or whatever. Or I don't even know if it's called that, if it's the other way around. But you know what I mean? He's, he's shooting out the, the pee out of a tube <laughs> into mm-hmm. a bag. And we're just watching from behind. But there's some, you know, some silly small talk where he's like, oh, you're not shy. You always go on command. And I'm like, aye, because he's just squeezing a bag. <laughs> that's why yeah, he goes so yeah, easily. Yeah. But he says... So reliable. Uh, he cracks a couple of jokes about, hey, have I ever told you, uh, uh, what's, uh Jerome's the, the, the name that he's using, because that's Jude Law's yeah. actual name. And he's like, have I ever told you, Jerome, you've got a very well-equipped uh, piece of equipment there, you know, you're you're very gifted. And he's like, only every time I come in, he's like, yeah, well, I see like a thousand a day, and you know, it's just a pr-. And obviously, this could come across as very silly, but the reason why it's not silly is just because right to the end of this little joke, that he's, and it's, a, I mean, it's not a joke to the audience, but it's like a joke, it's a small talk joke between them. Mm-hmm. is he says, oh, I wish my parents ordered me one like that. And it's that little bit at the end that says, that wasn't a dumb conversation. This was a science... F- this was a very ingenious little bit of exposition that reveals... Wait, what did he just say? He wishes his parents had picked one like that for him. Yeah, yeah. That tells yeah. you so much. Right, <laughs> Like, <yeah>. right away. <laughs> it's still pretty funny, though. Oh, it's still pretty funny, but, like, it just, right away, like, okay, we're living in a different... Because this is before he explains everything, because in the flashback, Ethan Hawke explains it all very in-depth. Yeah. But this yeah, is, like, yeah. a little tease before we get there. Clue. Yeah, just to, like, bring you into the world, and you're like, okay, so... <laughs> it also bookends well with the ending, that he was looking at his penis a lot. Um. Yes, yeah, so it actually does, yeah, you're right, you're right. That also bookends the, the movie, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, so... But, yeah, it's a, it's a really funny scene and it just it kind of makes you think about okay so we know that uh, or we're going to find out that ethan hawk is not actually this guy and that yeah. he is someone who is god born and all these people who these thousands of penises that he's seen um apparently nothing beats natural that's like the gift for uh being god born is that you can <laughs> I mean, you could read into that. I think, obviously, he says at the end what actually tipped him off was uh, something else. It wasn't, it wasn't the size of the penis that did it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like, the um, that's the, uh, like, because the parents will never pick a penis size, which seems wrong. 
or maybe they can't <laughs> pick that <laughs> for their kid. I don't know. Like maybe that's just not an option on the thing. Or, or maybe, or maybe that's, that's always going to be a roll of the dice. Or maybe, maybe they're just too modest to like, because they don't all will be judged if we say the biggest one. <laughs> we'll take the biggest yeah, but obviously one. <laughs> they're going to say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Because the dads are there too, so they're going to be like, yeah, the big one. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the movie, when he says, when he reveals that he kind of knows, we'll get to this properly later, but he says, um, uh, FYI, right-handed guys, because everyone's right-handed now. Uh, the left-handed people have all been ironed out, at least at least out of the elites, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Ethan Hawke's left-handed and he has to like, switch uh, as part of his like training to like take this role, if you will. But he, uh, he says to him, like, right-handed guys don't hold it with their left hand. Um can I just speak from experience here? I'm right-handed. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sweat. I'll go back and forth. I, I can hold it with either. It this, this didn't track with me, this logic. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. There's no, there's no <laughs> consistency to this. You're ambidextrous, but for only for very specific things. <laughs> I'm just saying his logic didn't actually make much sense to me. <laughs> And don't get me wrong, I get that in the context of the movie, it's not that he, like, because you could argue, say, how would he know how, like, every other guy holds it? Well, he does, because he literally watches guys piss every single day. So, the movie's telling me he's seen this, and he knows this, so fair enough, but... Honestly, I think the reason why the, um, the Ethan Hawke has a big penis is because... is <laughs> because the geneticists are mostly men who are just, like... I don't want any competition, so I'm going to give everybody small penis. Ah, very smart. Very That's smart. What I'm okay, very smart. Like if or if I make everybody else's penis small, then I'm going to look great. I mean, maybe That's it, just going to be the new average. It's going to be a smaller size. That could probably solve a lot of problems. I think it's just meant to be a little wink, wink. Like natural's better, and he ended up with a big dick because of it. I think that's all it's meant to be. <laughs> Or, yeah, it is, you know, because everything is the role of a die. You know, that's also a theme in this. And that even though he's, you know, 99% going to die at some point, uh, or, or, I mean, 100% at some point, but, you know, <laughs> in the movie. Everyone's 100% at some point. <laughs> in his early 30s, it's determined, right? So, yeah. but he's the 1%, you know, just you can't, you can't uh, predict that. Mm-mm. Even with these uh, fancy future geneticists, well, you yeah. should be working on dinosaurs already. Come on. Well, that's the thing. So, you, so he starts doing the flashback and explaining things, and you know he was conceived out of love, and people used to say that was the, the best thing, and it's like no one says that anymore because now it's like, oh shit, he's going to have he's he's got a high probability of all these things. So they kind of treat him with kid gloves like all the time, where like every single time he's like hurt or injured, we see that he will be accepted into a school because the insurance to like take him on is too high because he's more likely to get hurt and just like little things like that. And then of course they have their, the brother and they decide this time to go uh, with the genetic stuff. And like, they want to leave some stuff to chance to like, yeah, okay, like we want to remove the, the risk of the diseases, but like everything else we'd like to, cause, cause, cause I think the doctor says, oh, we can reduce like the, the chance of alcoholism and addiction and things like that. And like, oh no, let's, we would like to leave that to chance. And he's like, no, nah, trust me. Like, this is for the better. And they just kind of go with it. Yeah, he's basically yeah. like, there are still things that could go wrong. So why not just, you know, 
eliminate as many as possible. J- it's still it's still you. It's still your DNA. It's just the best version of you. Which yeah. Is that anything a parent ever wants, I, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I <laughs> I thought to myself when I was watching this scene is that part of me feels like are they charging for each thing they remove? Because this guy's selling them on all these features. Oh, so the <laughs> car salesman. Yeah. You need uh, the true coat. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, in, in a way, logically, it does make sense. Like, my problem in the movie is the discrimination of the people who might get sick. Do I have a problem necessarily with babies that p- parents are just making sure have the best chance from the start? Ah, that part doesn't necessarily bother me that much. Like, you know, from a, from a moral standpoint. Yeah, like eliminating the, um, uh, would be a good way to eliminate disease in general, yeah. I suppose. Like, if if you could like ensure that your your pets would never get sick, like you would you would do it. <laughs> you know you would. Yeah, I would, but like what? But what if she could still hurt herself? No, only I know, I know, but I would, but if you if you could eliminate like a disease from happening to your dog you would okay, yeah you would absolutely I, do it yeah if i could say no cancer yeah um, absolutely of course you would wand. uh so <laughs> i don't necessarily blame the parents of this world for for doing that part it's the discrimination of anyone who does have like a risk like because you know a big part of this movie and it's, it's, it's set up really early on with the when he's a teenager and he's sitting there and he's reading his space book because that's what he's into and he's these parents are kind of like like so you need to be realistic um it's like you know there's a you know because he says oh there's a chance that i may not get heart disease like and his dad says yeah but there's you know 99 times out of 100 chance that you will and ethan hawk says and it's not ethan hawk yet technically it's, it's whoever's playing the teenage version but he's like i'll take those odds and it's like yeah one a hundred there's worse odds than that mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely vincent is. is his name vincent sorry i, I keep saying ethan hawk um, I did too, yeah. But yeah, he Vincent is his name because he couldn't get his father's name because his father wanted oh, to save it. That's right. He changes it at the last second because he finds out that he might die and he stares and go, no, 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 no. Uh, let's go with Vincent instead of Antonio. We'll, 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 we'll name the brother who's perfect after me. Mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't want this one to have my name. Uh, his father's kind of a dick. Let's be honest. I mean, he ends this scene by saying the only way you'll see a spaceship is if, if you're cleaning it, <laughs> which is a really shitty thing to say. Yeah, and but the the narration kicks in, and he's like, he's right. Like they just don't, they won't accept someone like me. This is the world that they're setting up. Yeah, this is where it sort of cuts ahead, and we see him, uh, you know, as a janitor at Gattaca. And I, I love that touch as well, is that he was literally working in this building as a cleaner, and no one, like, not neither the rich elite, or not even necessarily rich. All most of them seem to be because it kind of goes hand in hand. But like the elite who worked there don't notice that this janitor has now become the someone else and even yeah. the cleaners because he runs into the head cleaner at one point he doesn't even realize he's talking to the guy who used to work for him like no one sees but over the lines no one's seen it it's it's and i think there's like a sort of dramatic point made there as well which is you know kind of kind of neat uh but uh obviously one of the big things that's set up in this section as well is the competitive competitive spirit with the brother and the swimming uh where they play chicken and they go out into the ocean and they swim out as far as they can until one of them chickens out and turns back, either because they're scared or because they just physically, they feel like, oh no, I can't go any further, or I won't be able to make it back, so they have to stop. And it was always Vincent the Lost. Um, but it's, when, he, when they're teenagers, um, after he's basically sort of had this harsh reality told to him that he's never going to be able to do anything that he actually wants to, He's given this motivation to go out and swim with his brother uh, one last time before he leaves. 
And on this night, he actually wins. Not only does he win, he has to save his brother because his brother starts drowning. And that's kind of something to set up for later, whereas the question is, like, how did he do that? Um, and Which I actually love this through line. I love uh, when they swim again towards the end of the film uh, and Ethan Hawke, you know, reveals, like, do you want to know how I did that, how I beat you that day? It's mm-hmm. because I never left anything for the swim back because it was all or nothing and I just had to sort of, like, do it on faith. And... Uh, I kind of appreciate that because uh, there's actually not a lot of uh, spirituality talk in this or religion talk. I know they call the the, the kids like him Godborn because that's like okay, you're just leaving it to chance. See, yeah, it seems but, like a grandfathered in term. Yeah, but there's not actually a lot of talk of religion itself, and I think there's a lot of like faith in this movie. But it's more about just having faith in yourself and having faith mm-hmm. that you can do something even if it seems impossible. Uh, it's the sort of faith that I more personally can get behind that I'm more into. It's more hopeful yeah. and uplifting, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, 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 it was warming my atheist heart, is what I'm saying. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like the stuff with the brother that's uh, set up here, mostly because we get to see how the parents' dynamic has shifted once they have a son that is genetically as perfect as can be from their offspring. Um versus uh, Vincent and just seeing like uh, the height chart and stuff when you know he Vincent's eight and he's like two inches or no he's Vincent's 10 and he's two inches shorter than his eight-year-old brother yeah who's already outgrowing him and uh you know we see him like erase it because he's embarrassed that his father's embracing his brother <laughs> for yes. for growing so much and like everyone it's just I don't I you know I don't think the parents realize how much they're hurting their other other kid their firstborn by just you know constantly saying that he can't do something and setting his brother up for success which actually is an interesting little thing it's also poking at it maybe pokes at it a bit more with jude law's character but i think the brother also is used for this which is the idea that there's this different kind of like negative pressure on him like this Mm -hmm. idea that oh you've been engineered to be perfect and succeed and so the idea that he lost this and he couldn't explain why this, you know, this this race in the water, does really tears, defeat yeah, him. yeah, he eats at him and he feels like like he's not lived up to his potential. And that's something Jude Law's character goes through as well because he won a silver medal, which no, which yeah. notably he was a swimmer. I like that you could detail. Say that his brother was kind of crippled by that, even. Y- yes, emotionally. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, no, like, I, I think all that stuff is uh, like if I have a if I complain as a movie, if I have a critique that I want to make, is that mm-hmm. it is a little contrived that the you know one of the two detectives that's investigating the murder at Gattaca happens to be the main character's brother. That yeah. is a coincidence, and it's something that um, I've always felt is a little bit contrived, but. I always forgive it by the end because when he actually comes to see him at the end and like they have their their argument and they go and have their swimming race again in, in the ocean, I love that the stuff so much. Really yeah, yeah, the payoff is so good that I'm like, you know what, I'll accept the contrivance to get here because it's just, it's too excellent. Because that's the other thing, like going back to like he's expecting to succeed. Like he believes that as a kid. There's a moment where he kind of like mocks Vincent and says, hey, I could be an astronaut if I want to. Like, Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Uh- you know, the parents say when they are choosing if they're going to have a boy or a girl, they say, we want to give Vincent a brother. Like, this is the important uh, relationship that he needs because he can't mm. really, he doesn't really have friends, I suppose, because he can't get into the schools. And 
uh, I don't really know. We don't know everything, but it, it seems like he's probably, they're worried about him being lonely and growing up alone. And even his little brother is just like, I'm better than you. Everybody says I'm better than you. And he wants to do like a, a blood brother pact with the cutting his thumb and stuff. And the other brother won't do it. And, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate this. The, the arc of the relationship that is sort of, uh, represented through Jude Law as well, who also looks down on him. Um, but has a change of heart and has yeah, I think, actual faith in him and what that means, just having somebody believe in you. I don't know like if this is a, what he wanted his brother for originally. Yeah, I don't know if this is a strong like part of the movie necessarily that it focuses on, but I do think there's a little bit of that um you know, a brother by blood versus like a family member who you like someone who becomes a family member who's not related by blood. You know, like the idea that Jude Law becomes more like the real brother that he was supposed to have in some way, who's mm-hmm there for him uh the fact that he's also a swimmer even though you never see him swim obviously because it's already happened off you know off scene but you know it's just a little detail that i don't even think i realized the first couple times i saw the movie i just you know but that one time i watched it and they said oh i got a silver medal for swimming i'm like wait swimming <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if it's also maybe a red herring where like oh it can't be because of the name but like i wonder if like maybe tom audience members may think in their head oh they're going to reveal that he's the brother later on or something yeah it's a fake british accent <laughs> yeah uh but like i i i do think that idea that there there is this like pressure on the people to be perfect as they're told they're perfect which it's not i don't think it's as hard on them as it is for the people who are told no you can't be anything but there is a different kind of like you know problem with that that is also affecting them mentally that you know has mm-hmm. to be dealt with so yeah this is this, you know well, it doesn't... we even get that through uma's character and you know when they start to have romantic um outings mm. and stuff like that and she says before you go like you should know i have a heart thing it's probably not going to affect me till i'm older but that means I, my dna might be damaged you know basically. yeah they they mentioned that uh was when the cops are talking to the guy who runs the place um he says oh yeah we used to accept people with you know an acceptable level of like health like abilities so she's presumably what he's talking about where oh she's got like a small chance of it when she's maybe in her 60s so we'll accept that kind of thing as opposed to you know someone like ethan hawk's character who's post-retirement age which is not helpful anyway you know yeah so i think that's a really interesting dynamic and i you know i i think She's there, obviously, as a love interest. She's there as a representative of someone else that's kind of in the middle of this debate mm-hmm. because she's kind of, you know, she's got a bit of a problem, but she's, you know, she's acceptable enough. I think it's also kind of like this idea that she has to like prove herself more. She's always like saying to like the the flight director, um, like, "Am I still in line?" You know, and she's always she she always seems to be trying really hard. And, and that's it's like a weird sense because she is a woman, but I almost feel like this can this like sort of smaller condition she has where you're acceptable but you're not as good as like the these a plus candidates i almost wonder if that's there to represent the idea of like okay this is like represent- like three-fourths of an actual guy <laughs> yeah i, I don't yeah. wonder if that's meant to represent like sexism in general in like this type of workplace the idea that but a woman I has to work harder a little bit more of that kind of representation of what is it like for a woman to be in this mm. universe as well in this future um, maybe it's just a bit selfish. It's not necessary, I guess, for the story. I'm just, you know, I am curious about that, especially since she brings up like, you should know that I'm, you know, if you're going to go on dates with me, 
that I might have a genetic defect that wouldn't hurt our offspring. So <laughs> I think you know, really think about if if you want to, you know, be with me kind of a thing. I think the implication is presumably there is no discrimination for women if they are equally genetically to the men. And that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying like her having this sort of defect is like why she kind of is there to represent actual discrimination. There's, yeah. There's not extreme. Less yeah. Or- yeah. Not extreme. Like, like, oh yeah, we'll accept you, but you're getting paid less. That kind of discrimination, you know? Like, so I, I, I think, that, right. and I'm not saying she actually does get paid less, but you know what I mean? Uh, so it's, I think that's an interesting dynamic to throw in there. Obviously she has interesting chemistry with, with Vincent. Uh, the fact that the actors got really got married probably helps that, <laughs> I imagine. Um, but the, the, they do some interesting things uh, with, with him connecting with the person, and it's the first person he connects with romantically, and kind of you know, obviously by the end of the movie reveals who he is to and is honest with, and you know I think he has a line later on where he's been trying to get off this planet like his whole life, and just before he does, he he actually has a reason that he might want to stay mm-hmm. for the first time ever. Um, Sweet, you know, it's this idea that there is someone out there that will understand him, which is kind of nice. Um, and obviously Jude Law's character, Jerome's arc, is, like you said, he kind of does come to respect him more, and it is more of a brotherly relationship by the end. Um, you know, at first it's very cynical, and he just wants this, like, help getting money, so he's very bitter about everything. And then later on in the film, you know, he intentionally... And it's, you know, he's got a dark ending, don't get me wrong. Like, Jude Law's character ultimately commits suicide at the end of the film. Um which is actually, we find out during the film, is what he was trying to do when he got injured. He actually was trying to commit suicide because he saw himself as a failure, because he's got all these gifts, he's been told he's the best, but he got a silver. Yeah. You know, he came second place. Um, So all those expectations, and that's why I say it's like even more heavy on Jude Law's character than the brother characters, because Jude Law is like, no, he's at the point where he is suicidal because he feels that he's not living up to what society is saying he's supposed to be uh yeah yeah but i love that he has the you know the the that sort of serendipitous relationship with um with vincent to where he gets to live out his life and because he just wants it so badly he's able to succeed yeah maybe that's enough for him to feel like he, he has closure to where he can actually finish the job that he was going to do like it's okay that if I'm going because someone is living my life who is worthy of it. Yeah, I mean, it has that lean towards the end where I let you use my body, but you've lent me your dream. And that's mm-hmm. more valuable because that's something he never had before. He just, he had these expectations because he was told he had them and he yeah. went down this path. He didn't have a passion the same way that Vincent does. And obviously part of it is that Vincent is proving constantly. We find out uh, during the film and he reveals himself to, to uh, Irene, Numa Thurman's character, you know, he says that, yeah, you've got like another 30 years expected on your heart. I'm already overdue. I'm supposed to already be dead and I'm still here doing this. Yeah. Um, and it's that, you know, human determination, you know, do the impossible, yada, yada, in a, in a really kind of healthy way, which I, I really, I really like. Um, I have seen like a, a cynical read on this film be that astronauts, like, it can be a danger to your crew if you're not fit and healthy to go up and like, 
the idea that if he's faking any of these like health results that he's actually endangering the crew <laughs> the mission and i think that's a really cynical read especially since in this movie yeah. <laughs> when we see him get on the ship at the end they don't even wear astronaut suits they go on a suit and tie and just get in a seat like they're going on a like on a plane <laughs> like yeah. it's it's so normal by this point for them to go into space this is not they're going to titan yeah over in saturn that's pretty far yeah might as well dress casual <laughs> it's a long trip <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you know i i think that's a very cynical read that kind of misses the point of the movie <laughs> uh yeah absolutely it's uh, a, um yeah the the it's more of symbolic than anything else right yeah that, yeah and obviously like because he is still alive he has defied all expectations and odds of um, his life expectancy even mm-hmm. like he's he might be the one you know the one out of the 100 and the other 99 wouldn't do it but this is his shot that's why like he, i'm thinking about neo in the matrix <laughs> <laughs> uh, they kind of have similar themes of like you can't be special oh and sure yeah believes in you and yeah it's like yeah both are about not you holding the one yeah but both of them are about not holding human beings back and i think this one obviously obviously they're different and i think one of the things that make them different is I don't think this movie presents him as being that special, though. He's only one in a hundred. Neo's, like, one in... Well, it's just because he wants it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Neo's one in, like, seven billion or whatever, right? That's that's what Neo is. He's the one in seven billion. He's he, the one. Yeah. Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent, he is one in a hundred, which is not actually that high in the grand population of Earth. Well, I don't mean, like, one in a hundred people. Like, he has a 99% chance that he is going to die of heart disease by his early 30s. But his one percent chance is the thing that he's chasing. That's the, so still, he just has to work harder for it. That's still one in a hundred people. What? <laughs> this has been the same thing. It's not out of people. It's out of uh, chances. That's his percentile that he might die. Yeah, but if you represent that percentile as a hundred people, <laughs> I don't think you do. You can't. You absolutely can't. Oh, I don't think that's what they were talking about. I- whatever oh, oh my god oh my god anyway <laughs> doesn't matter doesn't matter the, the point is is that what I, what I was trying to say at the start of this statement before we went into this this neo comparison and any problems that a bitch ain't one or whatever we're saying is what? i was referencing a popular hip-hop song tara because i'm hip mm. <laughs> no? i'm saying it Jay-Z? Okay, yeah, you guys. it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what I was trying to say is that he's not that special here. And the implication being that Irene can also get this if she works hard. She can also be just as special. Um, you know, uh, you know, the moment, the moment, I'll just, we're kind of just bouncing around to whatever's re- relevant to the theme we're talking about. So, I, I, you know, I'll bring this up now. So at the end of the film, uh, I, you know, we'll go back and talk about everything else, but he's getting in for his flight it's the end of the movie he said goodbye to irene he's had you know they've had their one last night together before he goes off he's going in but there's one last test that he didn't expect and xander berkeley pulls him over and uh, makes him piss in a cup and ethan hawk obviously looks a little devastated and is like uh, i don't have a bag of piss ready oh dear and he pisses in the cup and it's here where xander berkeley's character says oh i never did tell you about my son and basically reveals that his son isn't all that you know he was supposed to be at birth right he he's he's got a son who's an invalid effectively and 
sort of teasing that he is maybe going to be sympathetic to you know any of this and Ethan Hawke's even saying here before he gets what you're saying to him he's like you know like you know I could have been there and back but no one would have been the wiser like you know like you know I, I could have done this kind of thing he's, he's kind of opening up because he realizes he's about to be found out and you know obviously the, the moment here is Xander Berkeley he sees the thing pop up saying invalid with Ethan Hawke's photo and he hits a button and turns it to the valid one with uh, Jude Law's photo and he, he says something like, you know, just think, what my, you know, like, yeah, I mean, my son's not perfect, but just think what he could be. And it's, there's this idea that, you know, he, obviously he's going to sympathize because he loves his son. He's a good father, unlike Elias Coteus earlier on, who's like, face it, son, you're a loser. You're always going to be a loser. But the moment <laughs> that gets me, the moment that hit me emotionally that I wasn't expecting, that kind of made me tear up, is Ethan Hawke sort of standing, looking at him kind of in shock that he's, that he's done, just done this for him. And he just says, you're going to miss your flight, Vincent. He uses his real name. Yeah, it just it, yeah, it hit me. One. It hit me at a place where it was like, no, that's he's the one who did it, right? He, yeah, Vincent's he, the one he, who the did it. He's going to somebody else. Yeah. but he's the one who who deserves it. That, this was Vincent's dream. This is what Vincent wanted to do his whole life, and this guy is respecting him and saying, "No, I'm not going to stop you from doing this. This is your dream. Go do it. You yeah. earned this. Go do it." Um, and obviously the implication with the, the hand and the piss thing, or the, the hand and the piss, the hand and the dick thing is that he's kind of suspected the whole time that he's not, you know, really who he says he is. Yeah, he says that, you know, my son, you're my my son's hero, you know. Oh, yeah, and, he says that too, you're right, yeah. Yeah, and, and at first it's like, oh, because he's an astronaut going on this great mission, but, but no, yeah. it's because he's an invalid who's chased a dream and achieved it. Yeah, yeah, you have to assume that he's told his son some of this and, like, hopefully sworn him to secrecy because it would really screw up the whole thing if his son starts <laughs> talking to people. <laughs> but, I know, it's a really sweet moment and obviously the music's, like, swelling up at this point and we get the slow walk onto the ship as he flies off, which happens as uh, Jerome's, you know, setting himself on fire in the incinerator, which is obviously really dark, but I think what works about it is that if you look at it symbolically, there's this kind of idea that jerome is dying and vincent is taken off you know mm-hmm. like this this is where jerome as a personality is just dying like he doesn't he's just going to be vincent now he's left him uh like two years supply of piss and blood though. not two years two lifetimes he said yeah of yeah piss blood, piss blood. uh also i think skin. nail clippings and skin yeah, and whatever else one may get uh, <laughs> It's a weird thing to hoard, but I guess it makes sense in the context. In the context Although, of this, it makes sense. How did he get so much of it? He must have just been drinking a lot. Every single day, yeah. <laughs> well, there's that joke at the start when he's first getting his, his piss sample, where he, he tests them before he leaves the house, and they keep being, like, bad because he's been drinking alcohol, and it's only the one last bag that's alcohol-free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which gets us the line, there's, there's more uh, vodka in this piss than piss, which, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not as good as the other lines of brought up, but it's all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the Xander lines, but they're pretty good. Give me a slight chuckle. Yeah, uh, no, like I, I, just, yeah, I think the ending is 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 pretty perfect in a lot of ways, and it, I think it says a lot that we don't get. Because um, I, I think like the first time I saw, at least as an adult, where I was really like taking it in and getting everything, is I think it's interesting that there's not a scene with the brother after the race, because because he has to save his brother again. You know, he has to once again save his brother. Um, you know, I think in my in my head, I almost expect every time a scene where the brother kind of accepts him or and says something like, "You know, you you are you have done this, you have kind of earned this," or, or or in some way, but he never does. I think it's interesting that 
it leaves it maybe suggesting a cold ending where the brother doesn't accept it and is still kind of bitter about it and well he doesn't turn him in he doesn't also. turn him in true yeah so yeah. I, maybe we can infer that at least he's letting him do his mission yeah he's, he's, he's going to at least stay back and stay out of it yeah um you know and there's teases throughout that it is his brother because he, he knows his name the way he yells vincent in the alleyway at one point when you know they're in pursuit and things like that uh but it's interesting that his brother doesn't even recognize him you know because you know there's moments where he's looking at all the employees and ethan hawk standing right there and it, he mm-hmm. never has that moment where he's like wait a minute <laughs> i don't think ethan does either or vincent does right no he doesn't no you're right they don't recognize each other which you know you know, it's, you know, it's saying that it's not just the elite that have this problem. Even the the, the discriminated side also have a problem where they, they don't even look at well, the other people. I mean, his brother does say eventually that, you know, mom and dad thought that they outlived you. So, like, when he when Vincent just disappears, um, most people probably just assume he's dead. Mm. He, I mean, his brother doesn't say that he assumed that, but, you know, I guess so. They probably just thought, well, his heart must have given out and no one knows where he is and nobody's inquired which is really because sad. He's not, the, he's not the good son. But it's really sad no one looked for him. Like, no one really tried. Yeah. They just let him go. That is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have their, their perfect kid. <laughs> I guess they do, yes. He's not that perfect. He's a mediocre detective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did kind of get the feeling, though, he suspected that it was his brother quite early on because he... Uh, he does kind of keep disagreement with Alan Arkin. Every time Alan Arkin suggests something yeah. that would maybe get them close to him, he kind of like suggests something else. And he turns out to be right, because eventually it turns out to be the flight director who killed the guy, because the, the other guy was other another high-ranking dude at Gattaca who was opposing this flight happening. And mm-hmm. this flight director really wanted it to happen. Uh, so that's why he yeah, killed him. Yeah, but Arkin was determined on finding this white whale of... Who is this um, mundane that's not allowed here? <laughs> the mundane. The mundane. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I like. I think all that stuff is obviously the the de- the detective story of looking for this murder and possibly getting close to Vincent throughout is kind of the 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 framework of which the the main plot kind of operates around, and that's where everything else kind of slots in, like the romance with with uh, Irene, which. You know, at first it's kind of awkward, and she actually tests him in secret. You know, she gets a hair. That he, and we see him leave this hair on the comb intentionally, because he, he knows people go snooping. Uh, and it turns out there's a place where you can go up and just hand in some DNA, and they'll uh, mm-hmm. they'll test it to see if your your partner's worth being with. Because obviously, the partner's not necessarily... They gave him a score, too, right? Yeah, 93, I think. was. Oh, that's a catch. That's a catch. <laughs> What's 100, then? Who's, who's this perfect specimen? I don't know. It's tough to beat Jude Law, if you ask me. Gary Busey. It's Gary Busey. I know it is. Mm. He's the perfect specimen. Because <laughs> the, the woman that's in front is like just getting a swab off her lips because she just kissed someone and she's like, yeah, I kissed him like an hour ago. So, yeah. <laughs> Filter out my DNA and give me, give me the guy's stats. That's funny. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she finds out that he's, obviously at this point, there's the fake DNA. So she's like, oh, it's perfect. He's, he's, he's this 93. Um... And she sort of, like, admits this to him, and he's like, hey, do you want another hair? You can go test it if you want, or, or, or you know. Oh, no, she says that to him. He said, later on, he does it to her. She, she gives her, her, him a hair and says, you can go test me and see if you're still interested. And he does this sort of moment where he's like, oh, the wind got it. And he's just basically, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. need to test you. Which is kind of, I know it sounds quite weird in context, but it is actually quite romantic in the context of this. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's like, I don't give a shit. And obviously he doesn't give a shit. He's, he knows that he's even way more, like, genetically broken. <laughs> so why would he care? <laughs> yeah, plus it's Uma Thurman. Yes. <laughs> stinking beautiful. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's pretty perfect. Yeah. I noticed there's a... Because aren't they, like, famously, like, a, a height couple where, like, she's much taller than him? Especially because she has to wear heels all the time. Uh, maybe I don't know. But in the in this movie, I noticed that he, there were shots where he was taller than her, and I thought, oh, I wonder if they're like Tom cruising it, making him stand on the soapbox. Or well, to be fair, I don't think it's <gasps> just because of that. I like because there's a plot point where he has to be the there same is, height yeah. as Jude Law, so he he gets like his legs like stretched painfully, or well, I don't know what you call this process, but uh, I think they just they have to break his legs and let them heal again yeah and a more you know upright <laughs> fashion stretched out yeah <laughs> he's got weak calves now yeah or weak shins uh, uh yeah it's just for the scars is that he, he, he got hit with a a car that was like that's what the fender was right at the right of that line <laughs> yeah actually the car designs were interesting in this because they look like older cars but they sound futuristic it's a little joe it's a little <laughs> trick actually see if you make some of your stuff look older Mm-hmm. Uh, than present day, it does actually add a timeless. It's, it's like uh, using well, classical even the detectives. They look like they're from you know, yeah, some f- noir it, film. It's like using classical music in two thousand one. It actually, mm-hmm. it it like it, 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 it antedates it because this was already old when it came out. So it doesn't feel like oh, this is dated. It just feels like no, we're using classical music because we wanted to sell like classical music. The the uniforms they all wear too look a little bit like they're from, uh, like like North Korea or something, maybe mm. China influence. Cause that was kind of a little stage of nineties appropriation where women wore a lot of like the Chinese style dresses and tops and stuff. And I noticed it here, but I guess it looks more like you would imagine in like uh, the communist countries, like um, North Korea mm. where they have the same kind of button down and color schemes even. Yeah. Their, their, their first big day is to go to a pianist. Um, which really upsets Jude Law. Jude Law feels really left out that Ethan Hawke's going out on a date and he feels really sad about it and gets drunk. He actually runs into uh, another actor that I forgot was in this. Uh, Dean Norris has a small role as a detective oh, yeah. that uh, Jude Law runs into uh, when he's out. And Jude, uh, Dean Norris gets really kind of like, wait, you work at Gattaca? Because he takes his DNA. He's like, you work at Gattaca? But you're a cripple. Mm-hmm. And Jude Law's like, I hurt my leg. I'm healing. How dare you speak? And he gets really uptight about it and like yeah, get offended. Yeah, he gets really elite on him. Um, but obviously, he, he's he's feeling a lot of uh, insecurities right now because you know, obviously, later on he comes to accept and sort of appreciate that this man's living his dreams using his name and body. But uh, right now, he's feeling like, oh, I should be able to do this. I should be able to go out. He's you know, he's feeling, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but interesting little detail that's revealed at the end of this is that the pianist has 12 fingers he has six in each hand and this is like a genetic design thing and kind of ties into that idea like it doesn't seem like everyone's picked like a, a job role's picked out for you at birth but this almost seems like maybe it was because you need 12 fingers to play this piece yeah i wonder if it's like uh like they can tell that somebody will have an affinity towards music or math or mm. whatever and be able to say like okay well we know that your son will be able to to be a great pianist or musician. We could just give him twelve fingers, and <laughs> then he'll be the best. Yeah, but, but, because we already know he's probably going to go that direction. It's an interesting little reaction to it, though, because Ethan Hawke uh, 
kind of is not shocked, but he's a little oh, surprised by it. And mm-hmm. Uma Thurman says, "Oh, you didn't know." Uh, and Ethan Hawke says, "Oh, well, it's about how you play. It's not about how many fingers you have." Which I mean, yeah, you could ins- you could just swap this out with. It's not about the size. It's how you. Use it. <laughs> but she says, "Oh, you can You're only a little insecure." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can only play that piece with twelve fingers. And I, I think it's it's kind of nudging at another little thing that's in here that I kind of like is this idea that. Us, like, like, obviously, yes, the discrimination is bad and no one should be held back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's this idea that there have been, like, not that, not that someone be able to play a music piece that was impossible for is that important, but the idea that in general, yeah, there's other advancements in society because people are at their best. Because we're able to have people who are doing the things that they naturally are good at, that they're supposed to be good at, uh, it, it's actually improving like science and things like that because you've got all the all the people who are the perfect minds to be scientists became scientists and they're all working really hard on curing things and inventing stuff that's going to make you know the, the teleporters like you know two months away like it's coming because you know, yeah you know, it I, also I, makes you go ahead i was gonna say so i think like ethan hawk's like reaction to that and then her kind of saying yeah but you can only do that with those extra fingers is saying there are some benefits like you know it's, it's not just about saying flat out there should be no, you know, none of this kind of thing. Well, it also sort of paints a picture of the world where, like, this probably started off with the fact that we wanted to make sure that your kid didn't come out with disease mm-hmm. and stuff that will hurt them. But now it's a, it's been around long enough that they're starting to make some modifications and some, like, you can say how attractive someone is or you can say, like, if they can have a... Uh, not just like not have disease but also have a genetic advantage over other people and uh like a new type of way even pandora's box um, effectively yeah, exactly that. so it's sort of like this is just dipping your toe into what could p- potentially come down the line if uh you know the slippery slope to- yeah yeah we get to see where this goes yeah oh absolutely like it's, it kind of goes back to that scene with the parents near the start where oh, we wanted to eliminate diseases, but we don't want necessarily to give all these unnatural advantages. Just, you know, take away the risk of cancer and heart disease. Which, again, that part seems, yeah, you know what, we'd all do that. If we could do that when we were having kids, mm-hmm. we would. Like, that's just, you know. That like, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a net positive. But all these other things is where, okay, this is where the, the cynical side comes in and the, the greed and the mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, So, yeah. I mean, there's already such a discrepancy between the the working class and the rich as it is in the world. Imagine if the rich could pay to make sure that their kids would be perfect at everything now. Like, well, I mean, yeah, they kind of do. Right. I mean, the private schools exist and sure. Yeah. But more so like, (laughs) right. Obviously this is a much more science fiction version of that, but, or even like, you know, the big, uh, controversy that happened with, um, the full house mom and her kid, like going to, just paying to make sure that she gets to a great college or university just so it's on her resume not that she actually has to you know is this the actress to get in who's also from desperate housewives because that's what i know her from oh i don't know like it may be unless i mean it wouldn't surprise me jesse's wife or girlfriend or whatever it wouldn't surprise me if uh there's two actresses that have done this that would be that shocking to be honest John Stamos's girlfriend or or wife in the show. I've I never, I've never seen this. I've never seen this what? show. I, I don't know who this is. Okay, I mean, you know who John Stamos. Well, is? I know who John Stamos is, but I've never seen. I don't know his character. I don't know who else is on this show. Okay, I don't. I don't know this this actress's name, but yeah. Is she, it Felicity Hoffman? Uh, 
think that was one of them, yeah, because it like opened okay. up like more. Oh, it was like a whole ring. It was like all these yeah. parents colluding together. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, to get their dumb celebrity children into <laughs> universities like Yale or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes you want to yell at the moon. <laughs> that was dumb. It was. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone who's listening for that terrible joke. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. So that that was their the kind of the, the big date, and then obviously, then there's things where they're they're at this other place and they have to run out because the police show up to like just do random like genetic testing on people, and he knows he's screwed if to test them, so he has to run out and he punches like a cop out to like get away, and she's freaking out a little bit, but she at least feels some sense of trust or whatever to just stay quiet when the brother is like in the alleyway shouting for them and so she's learned some stuff here and obviously there's an implication of things but it's not until she thinks that he's killed the, yeah. the guy yeah. she thinks he's the murderer uh, but she's still kind of going along with things she doesn't necessarily hate him for it because she still goes along with the lie so the next day I think it is or yeah I, I mean the, the whole movie takes place over a week basically you know, in the present day part so I think um, it probably is just the next day but we get the big sequence where uh, the brother character, he is um, kind of put things together a little bit. Uh, and he knows that, you know, this guy, Jerome, you know, quote unquote, is like who he maybe wants to go talk to. So he goes looking for him and Uma Thurman hears this and actually goes and warns Ethan Hawke and says, hey, hey, you look like you're feeling a bit under the weather. You should go home. And he does. But then Jerome insists when he sees her, oh, do you know where this guy lives? Oh, you're going to take me to him then. So we get this big sequence where Ethan Hawke calls uh, Jude Law, who's like, you know, putting his uh, shavings of like, his skin into a bag or something. <laughs> something mm-hmm. creepy and weird. Uh, which, by the way, just on, while I'm saying that, like, it's amazing how not disgusting, even though it is really disgusting when you think about it, the opening title sequence is, which is all these like slow motion <laughs> shots of like nail clippings and stuff hitting the floor. Yeah. Well, when you've seen the shit that I've seen at work, you wouldn't <laughs> be grossed out by it anymore. Oh, <laughs> So, so Jude Law, like, climbs up the stairs, because obviously, you know, he can't walk, he's in a wheelchair, so he's, he's yeah, like, he's, like, yeah. pulling himself up the stairs, trying to get up so that he doesn't look suspicious, so he's sitting in a regular chair, and he has to pretend that he's in a relationship with Uma Thurman, when they finally walk in, he's like, where's my kiss, darling? Uh, and, <laughs> what a dick move. Uh, it's a dick move. Especially since she goes for the head, which is a bit more, you know, Okay, that's a bit more acceptable. And then he's like, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, right here, right here, mm-hmm. on the lips. Um, which, you know, and he takes his blood and uh, the brother's like, hmm. And he's like, were you expecting someone else? So he leaves and there's a great shot here uh, where it sort of shows Ethan Hawke coming up the stairs behind Jude Law and the focus shifts. It's a really great shot because you can just imagine this is Uma Thurman looking at him and then shifting her focus to him walking up behind him. And mm-hmm. this is a really, it's a really cinematic line, but like, uh, Jude Law says, hi, Jerome. And then Ethan Hawke goes, yes, hi, Jerome. <laughs> like, they say Jerome to each other. <laughs> Just to really sell it. Uh, but this is where it all comes out, really, and, like, he chases her down when she tries to go away and says, hey, look, you know, I'm an invalid, call me what you want, but they told me I couldn't do this. I'm not a killer, though. <laughs> Just let's get out that out there <laughs> right away. Although weird that you're more upset about this versus the killing, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because um, i think they sleep together when she suspects he's the killer <laughs> so, some girls like bad boys <laughs> uh, yeah yeah because it's after that they go to the or maybe it's after the piano thing where they go to the uh 
all the satellites or solar panels or whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that reflect the light. Yeah, I really like the scene. You sort of brought up the that they had to run away, but I do really like the scene of they get to like a traffic stop and you can see that they're trying to scan them, scan people for contact lenses. So he has to remove his, but it's also means that he's blind now. He can't, actually can't see. Yeah. Um, because that's the only way, and he like gets out of the swab test by like requesting a finger. It's another great, like, great uh, representation of uh, the movie as a whole. There was a scene where she crosses this busy road to, and goes mm-hmm. to the other side, and she's like, "Hey, come on, I want you to come see this." And he's like, "Shit, I can barely see. I can see like blurry lights, and that's about it." Yeah. And but he has it's to scary. He has to take this leap of faith and just walk across. Like he has to just mm-hmm. go across, and it's like you know, it's kind of it's, it sums up the whole movie. He's like. Your chances of making it across are pretty slim, but he's going to do it anyway. But that's kind of what lets you know that he really likes her and cares about her, is that he's willing yeah. to try this. He cares about her enough that he's going to make this this trip. And she brings it up too. She's like, did you, could you not see when you did that? <laughs> like, yeah. Which I'm, I'm sure in hindsight, yeah, she's quite impressed by that. Yeah, she feels touched by that. Uh, that You almost died for me. <laughs> um but yeah obviously in some level she should be able to sympathize and you know it doesn't take much because once she's like had a day like reflect on it and think about everything she's found out uh Mm -hmm. they do have this you know connection and they they spend the night together one last time um i actually love the visual the first time they spend the night together and he wakes up at her place and he sees like his hair on the pillow and he's like oh shit and he goes outside to the beach and just starts scrubbing himself with a rock like he does in the mm-hmm. furnace. And it's just it's this visual of Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's just... using the sand and stuff to yeah. like try sandpaper his skin off. And he's just, he's you know, it's like he's, he's just like butt-ass naked on the beach. And he looks so like, he looks so vulnerable, you know. Mm-hmm. And not just because he's naked, he just looks so scared and like terrified that he's going to be found out. Uh, and obviously it shouldn't be that way, right? That's, that's you know, part of the, the lesson of the movie is that obviously this is all bad, that he has to do this. And, um, you know, so... Uh, I, I love it. I, I, I love I love that that little uh, that little detail. But um, yeah, uh, their stuff works quite well. Um, it's not like the most like I I don't think you necessarily. I think everything works in the context of what she represents in the story for him and all the different sort of connections he's making, as opposed to being this great love story that I'm so invested in as a love story. But I think it works really well in the context of the movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I said, I think I would have liked a little bit of more of what it's like to be a woman in this sure. situation. Mm-hmm. But I, if it's not the right movie for for to to add more than that, then I mean, I I get it. She's there for his character, and we get a little bit more glimpses of the world through her. But it would have been nice to have just a skosh more. I I don't even necessarily disagree. Like it would have been an interesting angle that I don't think would have felt like it it inflated the movie too much. I think it would all still make perfect thematic sense to give more of her point of view. I want, like, uh, like what Starship Troopers does, you know, where it's just every little background extra thing has a line that would be like, oh, that's actually quite dark if you turn it on its head a little bit. Mm. I like those, you know, those science fiction future worlds where things seem like paradise and perfect, but, you know, it's all just a surface layer. Yeah. Uh, I think I think getting more of her point of view to to represent that side of it probably would be quite interesting, um, and maybe that was just something they never thought of doing because, you know, Hollywood, <laughs> especially Hollywood, you know, twenty plus years ago, uh, or yeah. you know, maybe they they thought oh, it would be too much to add in. I don't know, but um, 
I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I get it. It's not essential to the main themes of the movie, but I think it could add. To, it could add to them, though. Like, yeah, I think it would add to world building. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have their big emotional goodbye. Uh, Jude Law readies all of his, you know, blood and piss and stuff so that <laughs> working so, overtime so that jerome will always be here when he needs them uh and it's, it's that sad thing that he's that he's kind of admitting he's a little bit dead inside and like he just exists to be this you know physical body <laughs> for him blood pigs. yeah uh so <laughs> yeah. It's, it's obviously quite a sad ending for him but again if you look at it symbolically there's like a kind of a an interesting read on it i think mm-hmm. and what it represents the idea that he's burning it with those vincent sores above you know, uh, so. I mean, there's a lot of Im- implications that are saying that even though these are genetically perfect people, there's there's far from, they're far from perfect. And yeah, like you've alluded to before, the just the pressure that everyone must be under to be perfect, to live up to that. It's uh, probably just the weight of it is too much for a lot of people. Yeah. Which is why the freedom to sort of make mistakes and explore and decide what you want to be is a big part of life yeah. and should always be a part of life. Yeah. You know? Sometimes you need to just prove people wrong. Yeah. That's like the greatest motivation. Well, I mean, not I, always. Not always. It's, yeah. it's good to have a support system. That's what the brother and June Law were there to represent too. Yeah. June, June Law obviously becomes supportive as does Uma Thurman. Uh, and even, you know, even like their ending is not sad. Like, you know, he's, he implies that she's the one reason that he's kind of ever had to not want to leave. And mm-hmm. she says, yeah, you're not that long. Like, you know, one time around the sun. Like, basically saying, like, I'll still be here when you get back. Like, go and fulfill you the dream that you've spent your entire life. Uh, you know, she probably respects how passionate he is about this, that he's devoted his life and you know, this, like, I mean, way. yeah, she has to understand the risk. <laughs> like, this is, this is so uh, in-depth. And even if he gets found out when he comes back, I almost think in some level that's okay because he, then he gets to say, well, I proved you all wrong. I did it. Yeah right arrest <laughs> exactly. me all you want but i did this you know right um yeah that, that, that's kind of that's kind of nice uh so no I, I think it's a very uplifting film it's very sort of like i say it's all about the the human spirit and like saying that we can do this it doesn't matter if the odds are against us uh to quote han solo never tell me the odds but... no <laughs> look at you we I'll watched just... one star wars movie and now you're quoting I'll... left and right I've seen all the Star Wars movies before I once... <laughs> just in case someone finds this is this the first episode they watch and they, th- they literally think I've only watched one Star Wars movie. Yeah, pretty, pretty good movie flick. It's great. I love it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad we revisited it. Yeah. Did it... I, mean, I don't know what your memories of it were, but did you remember loving it and this was just a reaffirmation or was it like sold to Oh, you? yeah. I, re- I remember it being a very good movie, especially mm. watching it in like... Um, school and stuff because they tend to show a lot of like, the same movies <laughs> this was but more this was more interesting this was more on my alley because yeah. it was sci-fi and but, uh, it was kind of new also more interesting and of mason men for the 10th time yeah i agree oh my god right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i guess we're, we're kind of at final thoughts and just you know getting ready to rate the the movie uh, it's uh I think it's a wonderful science fiction film and it's thematic ideas and the characters serve those ideas very well, but it's more of an ideas movie than as a character movie. Obviously, it works because the character, you know, like Vincent does represent a lot of things and you do care about him achieving his goal and it is kind of sweet when ultimately at the end, 
it's an act of human kindness that lets him finally do it. Like, he could have mm-hmm. been stopped at the end, but just one act of human kindness is what lets him achieve it ultimately. And that's, like, really sweet and really nice. And Well, uh, we'd love an underdog story. Oh, of course, yeah. It's just yeah. in our it's in our DNA. You can't you can't code that out. No, nope. you cannot. Um, so, yeah, just this wonderful music's great. Uh, visuals are great. Um, and actually, that's one thing I wanted to mention since we're wrapping up here is, I was like, you know what, Andrew Nicole who d- directs this movie. I'm like, if I ever seen anything else by this guy, like, what does he do? Because I like I don't know him. So I looked him up, right? Um, and he's not directed a lot of movies. This was his first, believe it or not. What? And really? he went on to do some other things. He did like that Nicolas Cage movie, Lord of War. He did that Justin Timberlake movie, In Time. Uh, and that's a sci-fi one. Yeah, and he did uh, just a couple of different things. That honestly, his filmography looks worse the more you go down it. Like the, the newer stuff you look at, it looks like trash. Uh, so that's a real shame. The one noble thing I will say though is that he didn't direct it, obviously, but he did actually write, or at least the uh, the screenplay he wrote, the Truman Show. Oh well, okay. Which was the year after this. That was that was nineteen ninety eight. So that's you know he, he, his best days were ninety seven and ninety eight. He he directed this and then wrote the Truman Show. <laughs> like ah, Truman Show, so good. Oh, it's so good. Talk about another great science fiction. Like Truman Show. If I'm comparing the two now that there's a reason to, because this guy's involved in both, I would say they're both similar in that they're both really strong science fiction ideas and okay. they, and they both have strong characters. I would say that Truman Show probably wins a little because... Peter Weir. Peter Weir may be a better director, but I, I would say that Truman as a character is even more empathetic to the audience than even Vincent is. Vincent is pretty empathetic, but I think Truman's yeah. a better realized character. Yeah, you're right. But... That's not to knock this film, because I love Gag, and I'm about to give it a very high rating. So, Tara, what are you rating? Gaeka. 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 Yeah. I, that was actually in sync on my end, but not on yours, so. I am going to rate this one pretty high. I'm going to rate it an, a nine, because I think mm-hmm. the science fiction ideas are just so strong. I think the acting is great in it as well. Um and yeah, I am surprised that he sort of directed not great stuff. I think Lord of War, if I remember, was all right. Um, but I haven't heard good things about it in time, so that surprises me. I can definitely see some parallels since you mentioned it to Truman Show as well. But I, I think in any case, yeah, I think this is a very strong 90s sci-fi movie that uh, is very deserving of, you know, of its uh, reputation is I, I think it's received pretty well yeah gag is pretty well liked in the the I, I don't know if it's like super mainstream but i think movie nerds definitely like Gattaca. yeah yeah it's a very strong 90s sci-fi movie with uh, cool sci-fi concepts and yeah there's probably more to be explored even in this in this world if they wanted to like you know you know is your is your uh your career determined at birth or is it something that is determined after you're born or something that can be determined before you're born not just with the pianist but like you know mm. what 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 other people's lives are like going through this and are there just blue people walking around now because parents decided they wanted a blue kid I, I don't know like it's kind of kind of a neat future if you want yeah, to go back into that world reading watchmen recently or something <laughs> <laughs> um yeah did you read it Nine. Nine. 
Well, it's easy because I'm also going to give it a nine. I think it's a, I think it's a great movie that is just full of ideas that all kind of like work in sync together. Good cast, great visuals and music. Like I think it all just kind of comes together and clicks really mm-hmm. well into a, a final product. There's maybe a couple of little things we said. Yeah, they could have maybe explored a little bit more of this, or maybe they could be a little bit more of that. But by and large, it comes together wonderfully. And um, the fact that you know I've I've watched this now maybe half a dozen times over 20 years or whatever it's been um you know it, it genuinely has probably gotten a little better every time i've watched it because I'm, I'm paying attention to things and i'm i'm thinking about the themes in different ways or i'm thinking about character decisions in different ways um so yeah i'll uh give it a nine and then truman show is even a little bit better which tells you how great truman show is I think we both gave that one 9.5. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> so we're, we're consistent. We're, we're on track with our scale, <laughs> which is good. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> good stuff. Well, there you go. That's Gaia. Um, that is uh, that is the episode. Um, obviously, uh, there's been a little bit of a gap between this and the last episode. I was on vacation. We didn't get far ahead enough before. We tried to. It didn't quite work out. So apologies for that. Uh, but um, we, uh, you know, we're, we're back. And... Uh, we did almost record an episode in person together because if, if you're a fan of Screams After Midnight, you'll see that I did that with Tim. I was in California, uh, but it never quite came to be. Um, so you can decide on which movie. Pretty much, we did pick something that if we get a chance again, we'll probably do. So, uh, you know, watch this space. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, good. That means I can change it and fly. Oh. <laughs> Excellent news, uh, but there you go. That is uh, that is that is uh, that. So yeah, we are back. We should be weekly once again. Um, next week we'll be doing uh, the vote winner for October. Uh, a little bit late, but uh, we're getting to that next week, and that is the fifth element continuing nineties season. Uh, there is another nineties vote up. Uh, it'll be done by the time this episode goes out, admittedly. Uh, but there's kind of like a lesser known nineties like batch of movies. Uh, well, maybe not lesser known, but lesser respected because the, the three movies we put in the 90s vote that fifth element one were all good movies that most people like uh the second 90s vote is the b tier is like uh, one movie is actually quite good but it's a bit more you know cult and it's a foreign movie and then the other two are less beloved uh shall we say uh so so get on over and vote everybody well it's too late now by the time they see this but uh I appreciate uh, this. We've got a local election here coming up in like two days. (laughs) All right, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Vote in general, yes. Good, good, (laughs) good advice. Uh, So yes, look out, look out for Fifth Element next week, Um, and then more nineties movies coming throughout November, and uh, you know we'll uh, get to it. Get we get to it. Um, Also, by the end of November, you should expect the first Avatar because obviously we have to do that before Avatar. Oh my God, we're getting a new James Cameron movie. We are. We're going to be able to review a brand new James Cameron movie. I'm so pumped. <laughs> so that is exciting. Saying, of course it'll be good. I'm expecting it to be good. I'm expecting mm-hmm. it to be good. So, yes, let us know what you thought of Gaika in the comments below. Uh, like, subscribe, ding the bell. Of course, you can support the show by hitting the super thanks button, uh, sharing out the show, or of course, on a permanent basis, you can go over to patreon.com slash TV. And supporters and get some bonuses for your trouble. There's two main bonus things you get on a monthly basis. Tara, explain the two bonus things they get every month. Well, the classic but true and faithful is our 
bonus episode that we do every month for Patreons only. And then uh, the new thing that we do, newish, I guess, getting a couple months in now, is that we also do something called the Ace Movie Meltdown, where we just chat, we just talk about stuff we watch, stuff that we did, stuff that we like, things get to know us a little bit better. It's mostly <laughs> movies we watch because I watch a lot of movies. Yeah, the structure is basically we each give each other a sci-fi quiz for the other person, and then we talk about all the movies we've been watching throughout the month that aren't sci-fi. So just you know whatever we've been watching. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you want to hear our thoughts on lots of other movies, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a fun show. People seem to like it. So uh, that's really? at the five dollar tier. I think people like. Yeah. Cool. It's a sentiment I seem to get from people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check out that. And of course, check out the new show of Male Fuzz Movies, uh, Joining the Ace and Screams After Midnight, is the Collector's Cut, which I'm doing with David. Uh, we worked through franchises and themes on that. Uh, the first franchise is Dirty Harry, uh, so go and check out that. Um, when this goes out, the first episode will be going up on Saturday, the 5th of November. Uh, but if you're a patron at the early access tier or above, it's already there. So you can go check it Did out Did you right pick now. that date on purpose? No, it just happened to be the Saturday, but yeah. Remember, remember, collector's cut in November. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we had some good discussions on the first, uh, as of right now, we've recorded the first three Dirty Harry episodes, so uh, I can tell you they're all interesting discussions, so go and have a look and see if you're uh, if you're into that as well. And that'll also have a bonus episode every month, as does Screams After Midnight. So, Whoa, so much good stuff. Yeah, so if you like all the movie podcasts that we do, there's a lot of goodies on Patreon. Uh, but that is the show that is the Atomic Sam Experiment uh, so thank you very much once again for joining us we always appreciate it keep watching the science fiction and computer at Salsa